So let's talk about an inner healing prayer agenda. First thing is, if you're going to lead somebody through inner healing prayer, you have to start by asking the question, are you ready to be free today? Not, hey, can I pray for you? And then just jump in. I once had an extremely lengthy interaction with a lady who had all sorts of issues, and I wanted to pray for her for healing, but she wouldn't, she wouldn't be quiet and let me pray. And so she, cornered, she, she basically held me captive, talking about her problems and complaints about life and people and health and everything else for 45 minutes. And it was like I asked the Lord, is that what I can do for her today? And he's like, yes, that is what she is capable of receiving from you today. She's not capable of receiving the grace to be free, though it's available. So the first question we got to ask before we even start is, are you ready to be free today? Jesus asked the blind men, what can I do for you? And he asked the paralytic, do you want to be made whole? And you might say, well, those are both really weird questions. No, they're not weird questions because people oftentimes have drawn such a deep identity sort of through the role that they're placed into through their issues that they're not ready to let go of their issues. If they're not ready to be whole and free today, the way that they will tell you that is not usually by saying no, (laughs) because of course we all think we're ready to be whole. The way the person will tell you that they're not ready to be free today is they will speak cyclically. They'll loop back around to the problem and the excuses over and over again like that lady did for me that one night. They'll shift responsibility for their life onto situations that they can't control, people who they can't control. If you give them the impression that that, that talking about the problem and you pitying, pitying them and patting them on the head is all you have to offer, they might go away saying, it doesn't work. It'll end up probably making you feel like, what a waste of my evening. And it might make them also inoculated against the power of the gospel to set them free. So that's the real first question. Are you ready to be free today? Two foundational convictions that, that are underneath this kind of prayer ministry. Number one, truth makes us free. Truth makes us free. And number two, God wants to talk to you. Simple. Those are so basic to my understanding of gospel. Truth makes us free. God wants to talk to us. If truth makes us free, then that means lies do what? Lies enslave. And if God wants to talk to us, then that means we ought to do what? We ought to be listening. And so that's the whole found, that's the whole basis of this form of prayer ministry is that God wants to talk to us and he's going to talk to us about truth and that truth is going to contradict some lies we believe and when that happens and we opt to believe his truth instead of those lies when we give up those lies and embrace his truth we're going to be set free in that area from then on. A little caveat here some folks will object to the idea that God wants to talk to us because they'll say that God already talked to us in the Bible even if you think that the Bible is the only place God speaks to us Surely you also believe that the Holy Spirit will apply that Bible to our lives. We're not, in this kind of prayer ministry, we're not adding to the Bible. We're applying the Bible. We're surrendering to the Lord and surrendering our beliefs to his word. So even if you think God doesn't speak today, hopefully you will at least acknowledge that he leads his people by his spirit and applies the Bible to our beliefs and to our lives and to our hearts. If you think, in other words, that, that asking the Father in Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit to give us guidance is going to lead instead to a demon leading us into deception, 
then that seems to me that you have a very small Holy Spirit, a very small Jesus, and a very big devil. I believe, on the other hand, that the spirit in me is greater than the spirit in the world, and the spirit in the client I'm praying for is greater than the spirit in the world. I believe in God's ability to speak louder than the devil's ability to deceive, and I believe that the power of the gospel is more than the power of sin. And, and just to warn you, the goal of this is not for me to hear God. That's called prophecy, and it's awesome. The goal of this is to do more like what Jesus often does in his, his sessions. Jesus doesn't just hand everyone the answers. He actually tends to ask people provocative questions or tell them parables that get them dislodged from their wrong certainties and send them on a journey because he fully trusts that if their heart is sincere and they ask, seek, and knock, God the Father's going to show them. The door's going to be open and they're going to find and receive, right? So this is not about your journey. Like, wow, I can really hear God. I must be spiritual. No, no, no. This is about you helping the client connect to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So here's the, here's the agenda. First layer of the ministry time to identify the lies. All right, let's take the first one. Maybe lies related to our view of God. God, is there any lie that I'm believing about you? This is really critical, and one of the main points of this truth-based kind of prayer ministry is to connect people to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, for example, sometimes the way that we've related to our earthly fathers or the way our earthly fathers have related to us or maybe even authority figures have related to us has affected our view of God the Father. I'm not saying it has to. I'm saying in my experience with praying with people and my own experience, I found that it often does. And when this happens, you might find them not directly talking to the Father as easily. They might prefer to talk to the Holy Spirit or they might prefer to talk to Jesus. We want them to have healthy fellowship with all three members of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if there's issues with the Father, sometimes relationship with Heavenly Father can be affected. If there's relationships with siblings that, are, that have been incorrect or friends that have been incorrect, sometimes people's relationship to Jesus, our relationship to Jesus can be affected. And if we have maybe broken relationship with our mom or maternal comforting caregivers, our relationship to the Holy Spirit can be negatively impacted. All right, so the second layer question are the identity questions. God, are there any lies I'm believing about me? It's going to be difficult for us to enjoy God's love if we think of ourselves like as a dirty, rotten sinner or a failure or scum, right? So Jesus' blood, the Bible says the truth is that Jesus' blood has cleansed us from all unrighteousness and God's Spirit is empowering us to, to live a godly life of love, that we're brand new, without wrinkle or blemish or any other stain, and we are more than overcomers, and we have resurrection power. We have righteousness, both in terms of in Christ, but also the righteousness of Christ has transformed our hearts so that we want to please and honor God and love well. That's, that's who we really are. That's the truth. But if you don't believe that, it's going to be very difficult for you to live an overcoming life. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. And so the Holy Spirit loves to reveal those lies to replace them with truth. And I find those get on you, especially as you're in community and you're in relationship and other people might have really wrong views of you. A third question we can ask is just throw it wide open. In terms of the general question, it's uh, these can be things like, everyone will abandon me. That's a lie. Or I can't trust anyone. Or all women are controlling. Or all men are constantly lusting and they can't help it. I, will, I always screw things up. 
people will always leave me. All those, those are lies. Those are lies. And they bind us in a wrong view of the world. So now we're relating to a world that's an alternate universe, not the real world that exists. And it deeply can limit us. And so, so that's layer one. We want to identify the lie. Here's what I know. The wound opens the access point for the lie. So the second layer, if the first layer is, God, are there any lies I'm believing about you, me, or just in general? The second layer is, when did I first learn this lie or who taught me this lie? It might be a person, might be an event. If you get a person, then you say, well, when did they first teach me this lie? And if you're ready, if, or if the client is ready, have them actually go to the memory and be in that place of the memory. If they're, if they're not ready to go to that place of pain, if it's too traumatic, if it's too painful, no problem. We'll back off. Ask them, what, like, where in the world do you feel most safe and happy? And ask Jesus to meet them in that safe place and pour his love and comfort on them. It might be that once they experience the love and comfort of Jesus in a safe place, that they might learn to trust him enough to be able to follow him back to that painful place. If all you do that day, if they're unwilling to go to that place, then you need to close the session down and pray a simple prayer, pray, prayer of blessing over them and move on. But make sure you schedule a follow-up with them asking them to be getting ready to go to that place of pain. We have to heal the wound and replace the lie with truth. Otherwise, we might have been comforted, but we haven't been healed. Healing and comfort are not the same things. So if they are willing, now we're at the third layer already. Now what I'm going to ask them to do in that painful memory is to invite Jesus into the scene by asking him this question. Show me where you were when that happened. Now, because a lot of people will ask this question. God, where were you? But they're not sincerely asking. They're accusing. They're saying, you weren't there. That's the assumption under that question. God, where were you when that happened? Meaning they think they already know that he wasn't there. He didn't care. He didn't feel it. He wasn't bothered. He didn't, he didn't hurt with me. He was just absent and he was silent. And that's actually a lie. That, the, the question, God, where were you as an accusation is a lie. And it's a lie many of us believe. So I want to, let's, let's rip that lie off and replace it with the truth of who he really is and where he was in the situation and what he felt about it and what was he doing. And this is, this, so this is what I have people do. God, show me, God, will you show me where you were when that happened? And usually, and, and what I often say is this, you might see something, you might hear something, you might first just see a picture, but what I'd like you to do is just see the picture and then I'd it might come to life like a film, just let it play out and just report back to me when you're ready. And usually what happens is I sit there and pray in tongues. And uh, in fact, I do a lot of quietly sitting still and praying in tongues. And the whole time that I'm doing this, I'm praying for Holy Spirit to give me direction, by the way. Because even though I have a map, the Holy Spirit is the one leading the session, not me. My job is to keep in step with Him and let Him guide the questions I ask and so forth. Okay? So usually what will happen is their eyes will flutter and they might show some expression of something happening. And if I can't always tell, so I'll ask, is anything happening? Are you ready to report anything yet? And they usually say, yeah, I see Jesus. He's doing this. He's saying this. He's crying with me. He's holding on to me. He's getting in between me and the, and the abuser. He's, what, he's doing whatever. And it, it usually it brings a lot of emotion and it creates an incredible level of trust to know how deep God's love is for them. It becomes, it makes God's love really, really real to know where he really was and what he was really doing when that happened. It's a, this is a, stage three is a powerful, powerful step. So again, but again, it's comfort 
It's comfort. It's not the actual healing yet, but it's a preliminary stage. And it's a really important stage. If he says something or does something, we write it in the notes because he is truth. At the end, we're going to delete all the lies and we're only going to send them home with a paper of truths, but he is truth. Fourth layer. See, this is where I'm like, man, a lot of this is totally Holy Spirit improvised. But, but one of the questions I often ask is, if you were to picture your pain, what would it look like? And people will say, well, it's a backpack full of rocks, or it's a big bucket full of garbage, or it's, uh, I see my heart and it's just covered in all this stuff. I'm just giving examples from people I've given. Or they'll see themselves with a big wound, or uh, they're walking through life, but they're walking through black tar and they can't move because the resentment just keeps everything heavy. And Or they see themselves just filled with grief for a loved one and they're ca- constantly carrying this heavy burden like a big bag full of heavy stuff. Or I just see it's, it's, it's diverse. Let their soul do the talking, right? This isn't always them just hearing God. Sometimes it's them hearing their soul and then inviting God to do surgery based on what their soul is telling them. So... This is the question. If you were to picture your pain, how would you describe it? And then the next question is, okay, well, what does God want to do with that pain? And he'll usually involve our will in letting go of the pain. He won't usually just walk in and take it from us. He usually wants us to intentionally lay it down uh, or hand it over. I've just, I'm just telling you what I've learned. God seems to want to involve our will and maybe even sometimes a physical action. I once had a backpack of rocks as people's expectations on and I found that I kept inviting Jesus to please take it off of me and I found myself not wanting to take it off and I said, why don't I want to take this off? And he said, because you believe that taking off the backpack of people's expectations is selfish and unloving and it's not. You need to get rid of it. It's keeping you from loving them well. And I was like, oh, man. So I actually felt, I felt like that guilt was somehow making me, pr- proving that I'm loving. Nonsense, total nonsense. But I couldn't get that backpack off by imagining it coming off. I had to put my hands, I had to physically involve my body and put it down on the ground in front of me, an, an invisible imaginary backpack, and then it came off. Okay, so when you're ready, we say to them, when you're ready, take the action that Jesus has invited you to take to give him this pain this grief whatever this is Uh, and then after the burden has transferred we say we, we lead them to say now lord that i've given you this pain what do you have to give me in exchange it's usually something amazing whatever he says he gives them back in exchange write that down in the list so so far in the notes we've got like what is the lie where did jesus show up in the memory or say and do and what did he give us when we pictured giving him this pain. Now we're moving to the fifth layer, and this is really where the deep healing happens. You, you got the layer. First one was the lie, then was the when did I first learn the lie, the memory, then it's inviting Jesus into the memory, the third layer, and then it's picturing your pain and handing it over to him, the fourth layer, and now we're at the fifth layer, which is the, now we're at the root level. And the root level is repentance and forgiveness. Did you think? It's the gospel, isn't it? Repentance and forgiveness. And you're going, well, why did you take so long to get to the repentance and forgiveness? What I have found is, if you don't know how loving God is, then turning from sin in repentance sounds like something you should do, not something you want to do. But if you know how loving he is, you want 
to turn from sin. If you view forgiveness as an obligation, well, you better forgive because God's not going to forgive you if you don't forgive them. Now you're threatening me with punishment on top of my pain. I've been, I'm in pain. I'm holding on to pain. And now you're threatening me with a law. Now God's going to abuse me too if I don't forgive my abuser. What the heck are we doing? But, but, if, but if you let Jesus come into my pain and show me the truth of where he was, show me the truth of how he loves, show me, comfort me, bring his light and his life, nothing wonky, nothing stupid, nothing made up, only truth. Once you allow people to experience God's comfort at the place of their pain, I find that they, they not only are more willing to forgive, but they are much more, we, not they, are much more able to forgive. So, repentance. So, repentance and forgiveness. Sometimes it's just repentance, and sometimes it's just forgiveness. But usually it's a little combo of the both, right? So, let, uh, in terms of repentance, if it's your own sin that you're dealing with, renounce it. Cut it off. Name it. Confess it fully with no excuses. And admit fully who all was affected by your sin. And pray for them, asking forgiveness and praying blessing on them. If there's any actions that you should take after the session is over, like to make restitution, make sure you take them. Because restitution, like for example, might be writing a letter, telling them how sorry you are for what you did and naming it very clearly. All right, and, and you go, that's terrifying. Yeah, I know. But we go back to, did, did, you, did you or did you not say at the beginning of this process that you want to be free? How serious are you about this? Are you going to let your fear of what they think, that it's awkward and embarrassing to put yourself at their mercy? Because when you apologize to them, you're not just telling them you're sorry. You are going to ask an extremely powerful question. You're going to ask this question. Do you forgive me? I was wrong. Do you forgive me? Okay? So, it's not just it clear confession, cutting it off, renouncing and confessing. It's also receiving. Repentance is also receiving God's forgiveness. Receiving God's forgiveness. This is crucial. Don't just ask God, please forgive me, and then move forward with the prayer. We do that too much. And so we, I got asked that you would forgive me in Jesus' name, amen. And then we move forward with our day. No, 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 no. God wants to talk to us. Truth makes us free. You didn't take time to wait for his answer. Instead of, you know, please forgive me and moving on, amen, we need to literally guide them to ask the question, God, do you forgive me? And then wait for his answer to the question. Do you know what the most common answer is? Immediately, they just smile and say, he said yes. I don't know if he's talking. I don't know if they hear something. I don't know if it's a thought. I don't know if it's just a feeling for me when I, when I first met the Lord. It was just a feeling. It was a feeling of his peace. His peace was my yes. If you'll, if, if, you'll still, if you'll still take me, please take over. If you'll still have me, just take over. Peace. I didn't hear anything, but he talked, if you know what I mean. His spirit coming into me with peace was a yes. All right, so that's repentance. If it's your sin or even someone else's, Oftentimes, we have to break soul ties, especially if it was sexual sin. And by the way, everything counts as sex. All these sexual activities that youngins think don't count as sex, that's all sex, not just vaginal penetration is sex. And it all unifies, it all is a way of deep communion that makes us one flesh with each other. 
you can have soul ties with not just sexual partners, but with deep friendships or codependent relationships. You can, be, have, you can have soul ties with manipulative relationships where you're constantly trying to think with reference to, are they okay with me? Is, are they pleased with me or are they displeased? How do I make them feel okay? How do I save them? Whatever it is. And so when you're breaking soul ties, it's usually something, I usually pray, have them lead them in a prayer, repeat after me prayer, something like this. God, I take back from so-and-so everything that belongs to me and I send back to so-and-so everything that belongs to them in Jesus' name, and may the blood of Jesus be a wall of separation between them and me, so that now I am henceforth free to fully attach to the people, to the person I'm supposed to be attached to in healthy ways, and they're fully free to attach to people they're supposed to be attached to in healthy ways. Another thing that I, that I found is in the case of sexual abuse, we call things back to the victim. I'm getting very emotional just saying the phrase, the calling back. We have them call back what was wrongfully taken from them. And sometimes when they are calling back what is wrongfully taken from them, you'll start by leading them to repeat after me. And you'll find them going on and having their own words. And uh, in a recent one, the person was calling them back to themselves, the sexual identity and wholeness that, that rightfully belongs to them. And... When we prayed the prayer, I felt it in my legs. My legs like tingled and went almost numb with with the surge of Holy Spirit power that was coming back into her. She was sitting near me. It was like whoosh. And I was like, I felt that. And and some other people sitting nearby were like, you felt that too? Because it it is so incredibly powerful. God loves to restore things that were stolen that he put in us. Now about forgiveness. And by the way, forgiveness is not letting someone off the hook. Forgiveness is not pretending that what was done wasn't wrong. It's exactly the opposite. Forgiveness is not excusing what was done as though it's okay. No, in fact, forgiveness, if it is biblical, it has to first and foremost be a very clear and very emotionally honest condemning of what was done as wrong. And then turning over the person to God to be their judge. and Giving over to God the right to punish. That's what forgiveness is. It's condemning the wrong done, but giving the person over to God and giving up our right to punish them and giving up our right to withhold love from them. Now, it might might include putting up healthy boundaries to not continuously be sinned against in the future. That's reasonable and healthy and biblical. But what forgiveness is not is excusing something. If you're just sweeping it under the rug, that's not forgiveness. If you're just excusing it so they won't leave you, that's not forgiveness. There was a woman who her husband would run around on her on the weekends, i.e. cheat on her. She said she was forgiving him. She wasn't forgiving him. She was excusing him. And it was because she had such a low view of her own worth and didn't think she could live without him. It was not, that was not forgiveness. My conviction is that if Jesus can make it as though we've never sinned, Jesus can make it as though we've never been sinned against. What I try to do is lead them in a forgiveness prayer because the truth is that all the grace is available right now today to completely forgive them. You lead them in a prayer of God, I forgive them for, and then they fill in the blank with the details. And you just keep saying... What else? And they're going to come up with a lot. And then you say, what else? And you might find that they say their statements of forgiveness very angrily. 
That's not a contradiction. That's as it should be. They might weep. You might weep. It's probably going to get pretty emotional because they're tapping a well of emotion. God, I forgive them for. Be as emotionally honest as possible. Be specific as possible. I forgive them for never including me, always excluding me. I forgive them for taking this from me and taking that from me and making me feel this way and making me feel that way. And, and, it, and what else? You say, what else? What else? Until they run out. You might have them say it as though the person is sitting right in front of them to the person. Or you can have them say, God, I forgive them for. Either way works just fine as far as I'm concerned. What we're doing is we're mining the pain and we're drawing out the truth of the sin that was done as we experienced it, and as honestly as we can. And when all those expressions are there, and you feel like you're done and there's nothing else, when they feel like they're done and there's nothing else, then we say, God, I hand so-and-so over to you in Jesus' name, and I give up all my right to punish them or withhold love from them. And now that I'm handing them over to you in this way, and now that I'm forgiving them in Jesus' name, and stepping into the cross and the flow of grace, I trust you to release fresh power into me and into my life to redeem the harm. And I trust you to release fresh power into their life to redeem the sin. You don't have to say it word for word. You don't even have to say there's not this. This is just the words that I've come up with. That's the fifth layer. Oh, my goodness. It is powerful, 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 powerful. I often end by asking them to pray for so-and-so or pray for the family or others who are affected. Prayers of blessing, prayers of blessing. We don't curse, we bless. We don't curse, we bless. We don't curse, we bless. I find that there's something, when we shift from the, the weight of being sinned against into blessing and doing good for, there's something powerful that happens and we get lined up with Holy Ghost because the power of the Spirit only flows in the shadow of the cross, Right? He doesn't flow according to justice and law. He flows according to mercy and grace. So that was the fifth layer, repentance and forgiveness. Sixth layer. And now we're in a much different place than when we started. Now we're in a place where we're finally able to hear the truth. So we say back to the original lie. Okay, God, if the original lie was, fill in the blank with the original lie. God, what is the truth? And oftentimes, he'll just speak it to them as plain as a day. Or they'll just know it. They'll just intuit. It'll just come to them as a knowing. This is the truth. Sometimes they'll picture it. Doesn't matter. And if they say, well, I don't hear God, then you ask them, if you were to guess what God was saying, then what do you think he he would be saying? And you'll do it that way. I will say, there are some people who, who will claim to get so locked down and not hear, not sense, not know, not intuit, nothing, that they feel they can't hear how God sees them or what the truth is. I will admit that I don't follow these these rules religiously at all. And I have sometimes turned to the, to the group that's present, the intercessors present, and said to them, guys, what do you know is the truth? Say it. And just people will just shower them in truth, 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 truth. And that's valid. That is 100% valid. Because as they hold on to that truth, it, even if it's, they didn't hear it directly, as they hold on to that truth, it can really have an impact. But anyway, I'm going to get back to my agenda here. A word about these written notes, right? You can and should, as you're leading people in inner healing listening prayer, take notes. 
You should take notes of the lie to make sure that you end up dealing with it at the end and don't forget and ignore it because it's all the flurry of Holy Spirit comforting activity can sometimes make you almost forget to deal with the first lie which got us here. But at the end of the session, what you are going to hand them is a piece of paper that doesn't have any lies on it and it doesn't have any wounds on it and it doesn't have pain on it. You're going to put on the paper that you hand them, where was Jesus? What was he doing when the painful thing happened? What did he say in that memory? You're going to hand them what God gave them, them in exchange for the burden or for the hurt that, or the sin that they handed over to him. You're going to hand them a piece of paper that says any promises that God might have made to them during the forgiveness when, when they said, now that I've forgiven, what are, you, what are you going to do in our life? Or anything he showed them. You're going to give them a piece of paper that has what the truth is because they want that truth to be their meditation going forward. And it might be helpful for them to then practice meditating on that truth and deeply absorbing it and receiving it in. The last thing we need is to end the session getting people looking for things on their on their own, finding things, navel-gazing, wondering, drawing connections the Holy Spirit's not drawing. We want them listening to Him. That's the goal of, of, of this kind of prayer ministry. If you get a prophetic word, remember I said at the beginning this isn't about prophetic ministry primarily, here's what I say. If you get a prophetic word which you actually should be getting prophetic words of guidance and revelation and insight into how to attack what you're finding and how to approach the thing the whole time. You honestly will do this best if you're highly prophetic because this whole thing for you is listening prayer too because you're listening for how to lead them and what to get them to ask. But if you get a prophetic word during the time, I would wait till more at the end to share it with them. I would save it till the end and maybe even write it on the piece of paper as, as an extra piece to what God did and said. So definitely you're allowed to prophesy at the end, but our main goal with these times is to get them to encounter God because we don't want to make a whole bunch of people who have to constantly run to ministry and get ministry for the rest of their life. The goal of this kind of inner healing prayer is people who know how to relate to God in a healthy way because once they know who Jesus is and learn to recognize how he is and how what kinds of things he says and what kinds of things he would never say, it's like, oh, now we're tra- now they're being trained by encountering the real to recognize the counterfeit, that the stuff that's running through their brain that's not him, the ideas that and beliefs they're absorbing, and the energies and feelings that are come along with those beliefs become indicators. Oh, this isn't God. I don't think this is God. What I'm believing doesn't match the person I've come to know, the good shepherd I've come to know through those genuine encounters. This is not a list of rules, even though I've laid it out like my agenda. It's a prayer agenda. Uh, but it's not a list of rules to be followed rigidly. It is the Holy Spirit's job to lead the session. And he can skip steps. <laughs> he does. He could skip straight from the lie to the truth. He could skip the whole process and just give them the truth. And they can so thoroughly believe it, it might displace the lie and heal the wound all in one fell swoop. And we didn't even like see it coming. Because that's how he works. He has many ways to get the job done. And he's the genius. So um, he's the Lord. We're, our job is to be following him, <laughs> not telling him to follow our agenda. But the agenda I've developed has come out of my experience of doing this a lot. And I find it's helpful to have an agenda for when you're not sure what to do next. This seems to be the least chaotic, least random, most practical, and most time effective. And it takes time. You go, well, that sound, it took you an hour to say it. It's going to take at least an hour to do it. Maybe. I've done it in 45 minutes. I've taken three hours. It really just depends on the person, how long it takes them to process, and how much stuff they need to get out. 
you know, and I would say this, you're not going to get everything healed today. I have a friend and she's like, we need to get more. There's more. I can perceive through my prophetic stuff that they have three other additional wounds. And I'm like, of course they do. And so do you. And so do I. We're not trying to fix everything today. We're trying to address the issue the Holy Spirit brought up for us to address today. And that's the only issue we're here to address today. We can deal with tomorrow's problems or some of the rest of the problems later. And if we've done this right, Holy Spirit can deal with these problems and these lies, and he can just walk them straight into these things without us even being involved. And again, just going back to some of these foundational ideas, I believe, is wounds become the access point to lies. And lies become means by which demonic forces can then steer our lives. And if you find that a truth isn't landing, it may be that an unhealed wound hasn't been dealt with, and it's giving a lie easy access. So that's why I arranged this process the way I did. Instead of jumping straight from what's the lie to the truth, I've just found that once the comfort comes to the wound and once the repentance and the forgiveness comes, then the truth, it just, whew, just cuts there, cuts through like a hot knife through butter. The goal of these is not to be all navel-gazy and feeling-oriented, and then you don't want to leave these sessions and root people in the idea that we're just constantly in need of more and more ministry. No, the goal of this is to demonstrate just how powerful it is to live truth first. We live truth first, not feelings first. I one time said to the Lord as I was driving down the road and just feeling, oh man, I'm a, I'm a wreck. I remember saying, Lord, I'm such a mess, and I just need so much healing. And instantly the Holy Spirit said, who told you that? And I said, well, I guess my feelings. And he had this, this was his response. Don't believe the lie. The goal of this is to get reconnected to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If there's sin he wants to address, get it out. If there's unforgiveness and wounds he wants to heal, let's let him. And if there's lies he wants to replace with his truth, let's let him. He sets the agenda, not me and my feelings. Our goal is to learn how to discern his voice, his character, his heart, and learn how to walk with him in daily life. Just like, by the way, he said we would in John chapter 10. When we conclude the session, we seal it up in Jesus' name, the power of his blood, and we ask for his, him to be glorified because of all that transpired. Amen, 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 amen. Thanks for watching. Love you.